Welcome to Four Points Online. We are honored that you are joining us today. If God is using this ministry to change your life, please let us know at fourpoints.org forward slash my story. It's because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. If you would like to give and be a part of what God is doing, then visit fourpoints.org and select the safe and secure option, or you can download our app and choose to give there as well. We are so excited to hear a powerful message from God's Word today. So today is the last day of our series called Numb, and um, if today's your first time, Numb is just about what we feel in our lives and what we want to feel in our lives. We just want that, I'm tired of dealing with it feeling. And today it's going to be a little bit more specific because I, the stage looks a lot better. I'm just going to say that. Is everybody see? If y'all got eyes and you can see, then y'all can agree with me that it looks a lot better up here. But we're going to hit on the family just a little bit. And I ask my family to come up with me and talk about it. But here's why we feel the way we feel, everybody. And, and we don't feel numb because we just go through the motions. We feel numb because of apathy. And this is the definition. It's the suppression of passion, emotion, or excitement to lose interest or concern for something. Can anybody agree with me that it's easy? If you're married, if you're not, you can talk to me still. But if you're married in this place, can anybody agree with me that it's easy to start feeling apathetic toward the person that you're married to. Let me hear you in here if you agree with me. That's a good time to agree, even though it's a bad thing to agree with. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? It's, it's so hard in our marriages not to feel this way. I don't know how I'm going to stay at a doghouse, y'all. I'm really worried about this one. And it's because as beautiful as my wife is, and she's beautiful. And as awesome as our relationship is sometimes, and it's great. When you've been married for six months, 15 years, 30 years, it's the same person. And it's the same stuff. And it's the over and over. And it's tough, y'all. And I found that we don't, we don't ever hate each other, do we? we it's not, that's not the issue. Hate is not the problem. It's apathy. It's that little bit of cancer that, that bleeds into your relationships. Everybody that's not married, listen to me. It's that feeling that your parents are the dumbest people on the face of the earth. And we've all felt that way sometimes, except I never did if my dad's in here. But like, <laughs> just kidding. But it's that feeling that when you have kids, if y'all don't talk to me right now, this is a boomerang. I've already told y'all this, and it comes right back. I'm going to throw it at y'all. It's that feeling when you look at your kids and go, why are my kids the only one doing this? Ah! right and it's it, you love them so much like it, it's hard to describe your love for your own children but man sometimes like you just look at them and go are y'all aliens in this place and you feel apathetic toward what God has called you to do and at work and in everything that you do we feel that apathy does anybody in here agree with me so the thing and we've talked about this over and over but apathy is the enemy of love. The enemy of love is apathy, not all the other things that we put in front of ourselves, and it's just that, oh, I'm tired of dealing with this feeling. And this is something that the Lord showed me, and this is why one of the reasons that I wanted you up here today, Leah, is I think the problem in our lives, and this is why I wanted to end the series this way, and then Paul ends it for us in Ephesians 5 and then 6, this way anyway, but I think 
I think probably the reason that I struggle in my walk with Christ, in my home, at work, and I think maybe this is the biggest problem. I've been telling uh, married couples in, in premarital counseling too. I think this may be, like if we could just circle something and say, what's the biggest problem? I would say this is the biggest problem. And it's unrealistic expectations. So let me give you an example. And then I'm going to sit down and you can get to hear from someone a little better than me at some of this. But how many Clemson fans do we have in the room? Show me your hands. Y'all are proud. Ridiculous. I'm just glad y'all didn't do the hoo-hoo-ka-choo and all that craziness. But how many of y'all were proud of the way that the Tigers played last night? Let me see. Same, same ones that just went, Kee-hoo! let me see. Like, you lying. I see you. <laughs> like three of you raised your hands. And this is why. Because every magazine had Deshaun Watson on the cover. If y'all don't like football, just stay with me. I don't talk about it every week. But I like it in this back, so just stick with me for a minute, all right? And everybody told them how good they were, and everybody told y'all how good you were, and everybody told each other how good you were, and over and over you were ranked number two preseason and all this stuff. And so expectation levels were what? Ah. I. Now let me tell you about me. I'm a game cop. Okay? Power to the people. And we looked terrible Thursday night, but I was giddy. Because I was, I saw the Citadel game, everybody. Okay? And, we, and three wins. We were a third of the way to our total. Praise the name of Jesus. I lift up his name. He deserves all glory and honor. So, so, so we looked awful. The forward pass was a trick play in the first half of our game, everybody. But we walked away with 13 to 10, and I'm trying to do a cartwheel. And y'all walked away 1913, and it was like, ugh, I just want to puke. This is awful. And the reason is the expectation levels were slightly different. I mean, I, I told all my buddies, if we could just get the six wins, my goodness, that would be incredible. And truth be told, Clemson has the talent to win 15. That's a lot. And so when it doesn't go well, when your expectations are here, it's ugly. And football doesn't matter. Can I just be honest with y'all? I love it, but it doesn't matter. Like, it ruins some of our days, and that's silly. Sometimes it's because of this. But in life, it's really hard. I feel like in our walks with Christ, this is the dilemma a lot of times. Because we put these expectations on God. The minute that we trust Jesus Christ and we say, I want to follow him, all of a sudden our human expectations happen. Now listen to this. And we begin to make God like us. We begin to put God in this box that he has to fit in what I think, what I say, and what I do. And if he doesn't do what I think, what I say, and I do, then my expectation level wasn't met. And the minute that my expectation wasn't met with Jesus, even though his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so so is God and Mark. And yet, even knowing that, what I do is I begin to tell God, God, where are you? And I get angry with him. And I think these things in my mind because my expectations were, God, I shouldn't suffer. God, I shouldn't go through the things that I'm going through. God, God, how is this difficulty part of your plan? And, And the second that I don't get it, these crazy thoughts start going through my mind. Am I the only one in here today? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And when it comes to our marriages, 
I'm going to sit down. Maybe. I'm probably lying. When it comes to our marriages, and we're going to be a little bit vulnerable, it's really awkward for me to sit on this. I just need you to know that. <laughs> so I might stand. But Lee and I loved each other, like, and still do. It's better, much better today than it was in 2001 when we got married. But we were 20. I turned 21 on our honeymoon. And I think I had somewhat realistic expectations because, and this isn't necessarily intended to be funny, but it's going to sound funny, but I knew I was a turd, everybody. And so I knew what we were getting into. But Leah was pure-hearted, and she didn't know what she was getting into. And here's the truth. I'm just throwing it on the table to start with. Leah and I probably shouldn't be married today because I was completely and totally a jerk. Now, there are still times that I'm a jerk. But I was a jerk. For probably years, the first few years of our marriage. And here's why I think that is. It's because I came in with these expectations that I put on you. That were you should be a certain thing. And I, I find, Leah, that I never even considered what I should be. I never considered what I didn't do what I didn't, how I didn't lift you up. I didn't consider last week how we ended with what can I do to help. That was in, I would say it was in the back of my mind, but I don't even know if it was there at all. And so I believe the reason we struggled so bad is because I had this picture of what you should be. And you can explain why, because you know why. But I had this picture of what you should be with the food on the table. Some of y'all are about to get mad, and it's okay. But with the food on the table and with the dishes cleaned up, and with everything perfect, all the laundry done, the house clean, intimacy, I'll use that word. Everybody knows what I'm talking about in Jesus' name. Four or five times a week because that's what guys think. That's how we come into it with. When you're a teenager and then in your early 20s, you just think that's just what you do. And that wasn't the way life was. And my expectations not being met because I put such a weight on you caused some trouble. So I want you to share why you think that happened and what changed. Well, to say that I was pure-hearted is probably a, a humongous, uh, I guess it's just false. Because I went into marriage as ready, thinking that I was ready. Such a baby, though. Um, so young. But, you know, we were dating for four years, and we were just like, oh, we really got to get married. Yeah, if y'all know what I'm talking about, we really got to get married. Um, and Paul so, said it's better to marry than to burn. This is true. We took so, it literally. Yeah, we did. Um, but with that said, I, I did go in with unrealistic expectations, and not because, you know, on, on Mark's end, he probably thought that I looked and seemed pure-hearted, but went in with a passive-aggressive attitude, um, very self selfish in the fact of, you are the man. You're supposed to be the spiritual leader. I had this expectation of, you know, the, what I grew up in and my parents and what they did. Um, they were very independent. Um, my dad's military. He did his own clothes. I mean, he could stand his pants up, and they would just stand there by himself because they were starched so much. That's just the kind of man that he was, and I grew up in that. And my mother just took care of herself, and when it was time to come together and be lovey, they did it, but it was just very... You know, and that's just how their family worked. That's just how we worked. So that's what I grew up in. And it was wonderful. I grew up in a wonderful home. 
Um, I wouldn't be the person that I am today without that. But to say that, I went into my marriage with those expectations as well and never communicated that to him. And so going into that thinking, well, he's going to do his own clothes and he's going to keep his own stuff cleaned and he's going to do this and this and this, just like my dad did. But I mean, if, even if you come from a single parent home, you, you grew up in that mentality of this is what we're supposed to do. Like know your role and do it, basically. And that's kind of what I went in with. Um, he should be serving me. He should be thinking about me and my needs. Never one time thinking, where is he coming from? What did he grow up in? How can I help him? It never was that situation. It was always, well, I'm the lowly wife. Woe is me. Look at all that I have to take care of. And never was a part of what we have been talking about here at Four Points of how can I help? How can I lift you up of what you're in and the stress that you're in? And being able to communicate to you, these are my expectations. Yeah. Is this going to work or is this not going to work? And we just went in thinking it was going to be a bed of roses. <laughs> Our first year of marriage was horrible. Mm. And by the grace of God, we are still, you know, more in love than we are when we got married because we allowed ourselves to be filled yeah. with the Holy Spirit. Now, we had rocky times, of course, but how we make it better is by Him. Um, we are not perfect. We went through a roller coaster of a week and we're, you know, being together 20 years into this thing and we're still working it out and still finding your our expectations and without them being communicated it will fail Absolutely. so and so just to give y'all a little bit of background i came into marriage thinking that leah should do it all because when we got my promise y'all this is true i don't even know if y'all are gonna come back after i tell y'all about me but <laughs> i never did a load of laundry one listen <laughs> one load of laundry in my whole life when we got married I had never done it. I would trade Leah. I would type her papers and let her do a load. And then most of the time, I would just take it home. My mom, my mom always did it. And when I, every Friday, we had this routine where we just we cleaned the house top to bottom. And my mom loved to have everything done. And she loved and she loved and she loved. And there was an expectation on her end. And then so I brought the expectation on this end. And I expected Leah to be my mom. That sounds crazy to some of y'all. Some of y'all thinking weird, but that's the facts. That's how it worked. And so independent dad, he should be independent and do everything. Self-serving and doing it all, mom, she should do everything. And I brought my expectations and she brought hers and it was a train wreck. Because it was, why are my, nah. This is a joke from this week and only a couple people will understand it. But Leah used to do my, my she would wash my clothes and then leave them in there. And, I'd, and then she'd like forget and then dry them afterwards and they smelled like bad cheese, if anybody knows what I'm talking about. Where's he at? And I'd get them out and go, oh. And then I'd go, my car smells like cheese, is terrible. And like, I think back to this and I go, she was doing your freaking laundry, Mark. Like, what's wrong with you? But we don't think that at the time, do we? And this is what we really don't consider, Leah, is... Um, we don't consider at all what Paul said. So, right where we left off last week in 521, Paul immediately goes into wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And there's three verses there that he says this. And this week in your small groups, we gave you discussion questions, and we want you all to read this. And, and I'm just going to 
kind of skim over it. You're going to see it right here and on the screens. But wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And then he goes right into husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to present her spotless and without and in splendor. And, and so, so the tension is we misrepresent what these verses mean by you should just do what I say and I should just provide and we've got it covered. Because we come in with 100% what I think you should do and not thinking at all what I should do. And, but this is what verse 31 says, and I think it's like the game changer verse. is therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And listen to this. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Because, y'all, we're the bride of Jesus Christ. And he's our bridegroom. And just like this relationship, that is our relationship with him. And I think this is sometimes the problem. As I come into marriage with my unrealistic expectations that I constantly dump onto her and say, why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you? And then sometimes she looks back at me and says, well, why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you? And there's no mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. And there's no what can I do to help. And there's just constant weight that we pour on each other. And the reason that I think it happens is because of this. I've never been with another woman in my entire life other than Leah. But that does not mean that my mind and my body and my spirit is not constantly pulled in distraction and in trouble. And the same thing for her. It, you don't have to listen to me. You don't have to sleep with somebody else to be falling away from the person that God has called you to. And, and here's why that's so important is because the picture of what we are is the picture. And this is why everybody in the room, from the sixth graders all the way to the 85-year-olds that aren't married anymore, this is why everybody in the room is affected by this because this is the picture of you and Jesus. And many of us came to Jesus and we said, Jesus, I'm all in. I want to be a part of this. This is awesome. And as soon as difficulty comes, as soon as what we expect doesn't happen, and we put on God what we think God should be doing, and he says, listen, I've got it better. If you'll just follow me, I'm going to show you the steps to take. I may not give you the whole path. That's never what he promised us. But just obedience and following him. And as soon as that doesn't happen, the drawing in and becoming one flesh, us to Christ and him alone being who I worship and serve, then, then, then starts getting a little murky. It starts getting a little cloudy and I start going, this is uncomfortable. I'm not sure that I want to do this anymore. Maybe Jesus is the way and, and I believe it right here. But there's some other things that I can fill my life with. And maybe I can just feel numb to the things of the world. Maybe I can just find a way through doing these certain things and maybe I can get myself out. And this is what marriage looks like, everybody. But this is also what the church looks like. And it's because I just get frustrated sometimes, y'all. Because I come to God and I say, God, I've fasted and I've prayed and I've tithed and I've sown seed and I've read the Bible and I've, and I've, and I've. And I've forgot all along when I'm telling God what I've done, what he's done first. Who do I think that I am, y'all? When I come to God and I start telling him what I've done. If I ever do anything operating out of anything but what he's done for me first, 
if I ever love anybody except for the fact that he loved me first, then I'm not really loving. I'm a hireling that's trying to get your love back. Or I'm a hireling that's trying to get your love back. And it's devastating. And I believe the reason that the home is the very first thing that's attacked, y'all. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know this. This will be the place that you're attacked first and foremost and will always be the case. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. Like sometimes people think, God, we're, God love you. We're praying for you. And I'm so sorry that you're a pastor. I need you to know that this is attacked a lot more than this in my life. That this right here is what Satan wants to get in between. If he can get in between this, he doesn't care what I do right here. Because if this is severed, this doesn't matter, everybody. I love my job. I love my calling. I'm so grateful for y'all and for this house and for what I get to do. But this is far more important than this. And God is trying to show us through Paul how we walk and how this is so valuable and important. And we look, and I need y'all to see this before we move on. We look and we say, well, it's not that big of a deal. And some of y'all are offended by tats, and that's cool. It's not question-answer time, so I'll explain it later why it's not a sin, but it's all good. But I got three tattoos on my body, Time and Kavad, and then Agape Love. I'm not going to explain the other ones, but the bottom one is Hebrew. And the word literally translates weight. And it best translates in English glory, and it's what God put on us. We all fall short of the glory of God, and yet he clothes us in his glory. And when we show godliness through his love to each other, it's the what can I do to help, and it's a weight. Now listen, but it's the weight that I lift her because I think of her needs before. And it's a weight, listen, that I lift her and think, I'm not going to bring my expectations to the table and take the dump truck and dump it on her. I'm going to lift her up out. And so I can do a stinking load of laundry, everybody, and I can spend quality time with her, and I can do things that maybe I'm not comfortable with, the ballet in Jesus' name, everybody, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's what she loves and it's what she is, and I want to be with her. The interesting thing, K-A-B-A-D, is how that word is spelled if you spell it in English, but K-A-B-O-D. Very same tense, very same root, very same meaning until you get to what it really translates to. It means weight. But instead of a weight that is lifting, instead of a weight that is beautiful, instead of a weight that we are to put off, and listen, that is how the world knows we're his. It's a cursing and pushing down and crushing weight, it looks identical when you read it. There's one tiny little thing on the Hebrew that changes it. And that's what we look like to the world, everybody. Since our expectations don't get met instead of lifting up, it's not hiding from sin. It's not hiding from all the things in our lives. But we look like this when God's called us to look like this. And I believe the reason for it is because we have not become one flesh with Jesus Christ. And we cling to the things in our lives that are all around. And we look at our spouses and think, maybe I'm the only one, but I'm willing to be on an island all alone. I just missed it, by the way. Thank you. Maybe I'm the only one, but we look at our spouses sometimes and we look at our kids sometimes and we look at our parents sometimes and we think, ugh, 
We look at our coworkers sometimes. We look at people in our lives sometimes and we think if I have to look at them, I'm going to throw up. They have the worst breath. They get on my nerves. They're always talking. And the people that God called us to cling to and love first as a picture of our relationship with Christ back and forth is devastating. Like, have you ever just thought, why is it so hard in the church? Why is the church divorce rate the same as out there? It's because we get attacked a whole lot more, y'all. So this is what's interesting, and I'm going to get Leah to explain this because this is so cool. But Paul gives us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be filling yourself with everything else. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he gives us these other things and addressing one another in the Psalms and hymns and, and submit yourself to one another. Then he, then he addresses husbands and wives. Then in chapter 6, he goes, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And so sandwiched in between this stuff is the family unit. And I believe it's on purpose and it's specific. And I hope that in your small groups you can talk about this. But then this is how he ends the whole thought. And this is what I think the guardrail is to our unrealistic expectations and to our walks with Jesus Christ. This is how we do it. Yes, we're filled, but then we also have to take action. And he says in chapter 6, at the end of this letter that he wrote to Ephesus, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the scheme of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but, but against the rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This battle is not small, it's big. And we're fighting against demons and angels that have fallen. And we think, she's just crazy. She's lost her mind. They, they have it out to get me. I, I can't stand them. This is all happening. But we fail to realize that it's much bigger than this, y'all. And we walk out of our house and we think, I don't have to deal with this crap today, God. I just want to deal with nothing. And we walk out weaponless and vulnerable to the attacks of the world. That's, that's where the enemy wants to get us, y'all, to just feel numb. You're like, Pastor, I'm not doing something bad. He doesn't care. He's good. I, Satan is perfectly happy if you're doing good. He just do, doesn't want you to be doing God. And then this is the next verse. Therefore, take up. What do the orange words say? Not a piece of it, not half of it. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. I want to show you a picture of the whole armor of God instead of reading the verses. There's a helmet of salvation. There's a breastplate of righteousness. The Bible says that all my righteousness is filthy rags, but, but he's made me his righteousness. If you try to be good without God, then it's filthy rags. But if, if he clothes you in his kavod and his glory, you have his breastplate of righteousness and there's nothing that can penetrate into your heart. And the sword of the spirit, that's your attack mode, y'all. That's how we fight back. And the shield of faith, our faith is weak. But his spirit is strong in me and we have his shield of faith. And then I love the, the feet protected by the gospel of peace. If you want to know where to go, the gospel will show you. But y'all, I'm going to get Leah to teach this because she does a really good job, a lot better than me. And this is so cool about the belt. 
of truth. So you teach it. Um, I've been in the study and um, just talking about the whole armor of God and and how important this is. And, and if you've been in church, you heard about the whole armor of God. And, and if you've not been in church, sometimes this may seem kind of weird. Like, really? I got to, how do I do that? Like, how do I put on all of that stuff? I really don't know what that means. That's just probably something that they did years ago. And that's really for them and not really for me. I'm not really sure what that means. But it says that it's his armor and it's his strength. And it's a gift that he gives us that we are able to, Excuse me, we are able to fight off the schemes of the devil. Did you know that even before you were formed that he knew you, but the devil was working of how to scheme you? That Eve just didn't take the fruit because of her own. It was because of the enticement or the temptation. He's trying to do everything that he can to attack your family, but he will attack you first in your mind. And, and the way I think about this is that the belt of truth, it's the very first thing that goes on. That is the very first piece of armor that he tells us to put on. And this is so interesting that also it would be for these, these soldiers. But in Ephesus, I mean, it was a prominent city. It was like a metropolitan city. And all kinds of people would be coming in. So they would understand what this meant. And when it says, gird your loins in truth, I'm like, gird my loins? What does that mean? Like really, like my loins. I don't. I don't really understand what that means. So if you look it up in the text, it really, it really translates like the Jewish men would wear these long tunics, very long tunics. And when it says to gird your loins, really what it means is that they would pick it up. They would pick up their long tunic, what was seemed to be binding, and just you know what what seemed to be the very culture of it is just how they would just work and how they would just walk around in the metropolitan city. But when they had to go into action, they had to get that thing up so that they could walk. So what he's telling us here is if we don't have this belt of truth, what holds everything together, this belt would be a purpose of taking that tunic and they would tuck it in to the belt of whatever they had to do. They had to go into battle. All of those pieces would have been taken up and tucked into this belt. And so the way I think of it is that sometimes we think God's word is binding. Like, really? I have to do that? But what it really is is that if I know God's truth, which is the word, and that's why he says it first, you've got to know God's truth. Everything that you're dealing with, am I supposed to date this person? Am I supposed to do this for my husband? Really? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to be kind? <sighs> Look at what he did to me. Am I supposed to honor my parents? Look at what they've done to me. But it says in God's word that you should not be unequally yoked. That it says in God's word that no, let, uh, no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That it says in God's word to honor your father and mother children. And that when we put that and we bind it into God's word and his truth, then what becomes free? Our feet. And we can move. And it, what we think might be binding is that bell and holding all together allows us to be free in him. It is freedom to be in God's truth. And without this, you know, think about how am I going to be not, how am I not going to be numb anymore? How am I going to get this marriage to work? How am I going to honor my mother and father? How am I going to live this single life? And what I really want is, is a husband or a wife. And how am I supposed to do this and not become apathetic toward the world or toward other people? It's because this is our guardrail. We have to have the truth, and God's really convicted me on this, is I got to know his word, 
and his word will set me free. And I will be free to love others. I will be free to hear his voice. I will be free to do the things that normally in myself I wouldn't do because it's my flesh. But because I have him and I've girded up my loins. It's like tightening your pants. You know, you tighten your pants, you feel all put together. But then when you go eat lunch today and then you got, oh God, and you got to untighten those, that belt. You're like, oh, you're so full, but you're so miserable when you take that belt off. And you untighten it. You're so miserable. And you just want to be like, oh, can I just not be so full right now? That's what God's truth is. It tightens. It binds. But it's also freeing. And be free in God's word and what he has to tell you. Because that's what's going to keep us from being apathetic toward the world. And this is the last thing is if the reason that he did tell in the instructions in Ephesians 6 to put the belt of absolute truth on first is if it's not for the belt, every other piece of armor falls off. When it came to the Jewish culture, every other piece fell off. So you can have a really cool faith gift and come out and you can sound like you know what you mean and you can have your righteousness and puff your chest and you can have all these things, but if it's not the truth, it's meaningless and it falls off. And this is what I thought of when Leah was telling me this, and I thought it was really cool, is John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the, what's that word? Truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. The, the truth is not an imagination that we have. The truth is not like this cool thing that we can come up with. The truth is Jesus Christ. And it's holding fast to what he has told us, to who he is, to the fact that he loved us first, to the fact that he lived for us and died, but he lives for us, that he rose again, that he, that he desires to be our bridegroom and us his bride, that we walk with him daily, and that even when we don't understand, our expectation level isn't that it will be a bed of roses, but it will be beautiful and loving and sometimes really hard, but never absent from his love. And this is the verse that came to my mind. And I just want everybody to think about this as I'm reading it. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? Because here's the truth. A lot of us came today with an expectation, but we lived our lives in the last week or last month or our entire lives with expectation. And you're doing everything you can to hold it together. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? And I just want to show you how the belt of truth is really what holds you together, that he's the truth. And he holds you together. Look, Colossians chapter 1 said, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Everything. And listen to this. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Is that not beautiful? Pastor, I don't know how I'm going to survive this next week. If you try, you might make it. You might be all right. You might do good. But I'm telling you right now, the only way to hold all things together truly is the truth. Because the Bible says that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And if the Son sets you free, 
You're free indeed. And so even though, like Leah just taught you, that it feels like you're not free, because I can't do and I can't do and I can't do and I can't do, actually, it's what lets you go. It's what enables you to not be apathetic. It's what enables you to be on mission for what God has called you to. And so sometimes you got to pick that up and let it strap around. And they would, they would wrap it three times and they would tie it tight and they were ready for battle. And many of us want to come in and just, just do our thing. And God wants you to be on mission, to do your thing. So many of us walked in here today and were like, just give me a little bit so I can get through the next. I'm not giving you a little bit. I'm giving it all to you. Because if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. I don't offer you anything, everybody. But he offers you everything. And many of us have gone through the motions or said a prayer or done our thing. But the only way to truly be free is let him be your belt of truth in your life and to hold all things together. The only way your marriage is going to survive where it is today is if he holds it together. The only way things can really change in your life is if you put on his armor and buckle it in with his truth and walk out and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, but not by my power and my strength, but by the Lord of hosts is who I follow. And that is how we change the world. But listen, that is how your life changes. And it has to start in your home because if we're changing everything else and we're not changing our homes, then what good are we? Except hypocrites and liars because we don't really believe it. So can I just talk to you? I believe there's some of you in this room that the reason you struggle with all of this and unrealistic expectations is if you've never really met the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You've never really met Jesus and started a love relationship with him by simply saying, I love you back, Jesus. And if that's the case, then your life will constantly be up and down, up and down, up and down. That's not to say difficulty's not gonna come in. Absolutely is coming. But it just means when it does, I can look at that difficulty and say, you're big and you're tough but I know who's got my back and I know who's buckled me in and you can bring it because I got Jesus. And that's the freedom we offer you today. It's not magic. It's not a wand and I'm not going to manipulate you, but I believe that God is moving in some of your hearts. And if you feel your heart being tugged on right now, I don't care if you're coming back to Jesus or if you're coming to him for the first time, I'm going to pray with you and I just want you to stand to your feet and say, I need freedom and I'm ready to be buckled in with the belt of truth, everybody. Will you pray with me? You can just pray to yourself, and there's nothing magic about a prayer, but I believe God's moving in this place right now. Lord Jesus, we need you, and we trust you. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose again on the third day, and that you did all of these things living a sinless life so that we could walk with you freely. And I trust you and follow you. You are the truth, and you are the only hope for me. And I follow you, Jesus, today. If you said a prayer similar to that or that exact thing and you want to follow Jesus today or come back to Jesus today, I just want you to stand to your feet right where you are. Just be bold and stand up to your feet. Come on. Stand to your feet right where you are and say, I'm coming back. Thank you. I'm coming back. Who else? Come on. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm walking with Jesus maybe for the first time or I'm coming back to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want to finish with this. We're going to have an awesome song right now, but I just want to finish with this thought. I know some of y'all desperately need your lives to change.
and be touched in your marriages. And I want you to know we love you and we'd be honored to pray with you. And as we sing and as we close this service out, please don't leave without talking to one of our prayer team members, our next step people, because we're here for you. Our small groups are purposed so that we can do life together and do it this way. And our goal is to be buckled in his truth and do life with each other. I mean, we want you to know we love you, God. We are so thankful for this day. Not that we can celebrate and act cool and sound good, but because your truth truly sets us free and wraps us. And Lord, you truly do hold all things together. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will y'all stand with us?